Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Well, I, uh, I'm privileged today. I'm going to be teaching out of a topic that did such a big deal to me. I wrote a book about it, okay? So how many of you love delays? Let me see your hands. None of us. Like, I'm irritated at the microwave waiting for the popcorn to pop. I'm like, is there a faster version? Because this two and a half minutes is too long. How many of you pull out in the traffic and you're like, oh, good, traffic. No, I'm barely a Christian in bad traffic, and I'm all in with Jesus, right? I don't like waiting. At the grocery store, I made this up, by the way. I have what's called slow lines disease, okay? So what that is is whatever line I get into slows down. And so avoid me at the grocery store. But delays are part of life. So is destiny. And God has a destiny for all of us. But some of us are in the, the midst of a delay right now. There's a promotion, or there's clarity, or there's peace. Maybe even a prognosis from a doctor. Maybe you're single and ready to mingle. Like, God, what are you waiting for? And God's like, I'm developing you. If you've ever found yourself in a moment, or a month, or an extended season, where what you hoped for and prayed for and even expected to have happen isn't happening, you're in what I would call a delayed destiny. And here's the tension with it, because, because in, in those pauses, in those pending seasons, in those delayed seasons, we can start to, to wonder, and if we're not careful, we start to wander. And here, here's what this looks like. And I've thought all three of these things, and they're all wrong, okay? So here's the first thing, that God must be out there somewhere far off like an unengaged spectator. Like, you know, like he's overlooking the balcony of heaven. Like, well, <laughs> this should be fun to watch. That's not how God operates. In fact, God is Emmanuel with us. Jesus in the flesh. God's like, I love you so much. I'm going to send my son. So God's not out there somewhere far off uninterested. He's actually very close. Here's the other thing. The second thing we might think is, well, if God knows everything, like everything, I must have forfeited his favor. I mean, if he knows everything. I must have, I must have become ineligible for his favor and goodness. You, you were never that good to start with. It was never, so neither was I. It was never about how good we were or even how bad we were. It's always been about the goodness of God. He would say, why did Jesus come? Because we're so bad? No, because he's so good. So you can't forfeit favor, it's a gift from God. You can't earn love or it's not love. God loves you. So I've, I've thought this, but it's not true. You can't forfeit it. And lastly, if anything's gonna happen, I better make it happen myself. I better pull myself up by the figurative bootstraps, because I don't own boots, and I'm just gonna make it happen. The problem is, if you start to see some momentum of success, you can start to think you made it happen. And instead of to God be the glory, it's, did you see what I did? If you're surprised that you're not where you thought you'd be in love or life or even your relationship with Jesus at this point, you're not alone. 
Here's what I want to propose to you. Today's an invitation to believe that the, the delay you're, you're, you're experiencing, admittedly painful, or you've just come out of, or you're going into, it has the potential to produce something epic in you. A new you. And that's all, almost always how God works, inside out, heart first. So between 1981 and 2011, the space agency NASA conducted 135 shuttle launches on five different shuttles. Now the shuttle itself weighs 4.4 million pounds with its exterior rocket tanks, the solid rocket boosters, all the components and the shuttle itself. And, and to get from its storage facility to the launch pad, it had to be transported on something. So you see a picture behind me. Uh, this was invented. It's six million pounds, the largest piece of equipment in the history of the world at the time. And it's called the Crawler Transporter. And the very name speaks to its speed. Because the, the shuttle gets from its storage facility to the launch pad at a blazing speed of one mile an hour. Now, in order to get out of Earth's atmosphere, the shuttle has to go zero to 18,000 miles an hour over eight and a half minutes. And once out of Earth's atmosphere, it has the capacity to travel at 23.6 times the speed of sound. But it gets from its storage facility to the launch pad at one mile an hour. And we understand intuitively one trip makes the other trip possible. And you're no different. You are no different. Before the shuttle gets to see the stars, it will slowly make its way down the street. And our lives are much like that. Often in order to go fast, we first have to go slow. But we don't like slow. We don't like process. I don't want the process, I want the product. Right? I, I want the produce, but I don't wanna have to do any tilling of the soil. I don't want to have to water and fertilize and wait. I want the product. And sometimes we forfeit what God could do because we're in such a hurry. And it seems like the opposite would be true, but a delay doesn't indicate disinterest on God's part. I'm going to let you think about that for a second. The delay, that pause, that pending promise doesn't indicate that God's uninterested. There's something that gets developed in our delays if we allow it. Dependence. And one of the things God's hungry for is for us to say, God, without you, I can't do this. The story we're going to look at today is an Old Testament main character. He's from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And his name's Joseph. He's one of 12 brothers. He was the youngest at one point, then one more brother came along later. And he is mom and dad's favorite to the point that he has a fancy coat, a, a, a coat of many colors. So it differentiated him from the rest of his brothers and his brothers hated him with a capital H. How many of you parents in here have more than one child? Let me see your hands. How many come from a family of more than one child? Okay, on the count of three parents, I want you to shout out your favorite child's name. One, <laughs> just playing. But some of you started to do the assessment. And you're like, well, there and then, okay. And God knows we're a church. I mean, he knows. 
There was no question with Joseph's family that he was the favorite. I mean, he was, he was set apart. And it's interesting because at 17, he has a dream. In fact, he had a couple dreams. And in that dream, in a nutshell, everyone in his family would bow down to him, even his parents. Now, culturally, this was so out of the norm that his brothers hated him all the more. And his mom and dad were like, even we're going to bow down to you? But see, God was beginning to set in motion a destiny for Joseph. In fact, the story of Joseph is really a front row seat to the providence of God. And here's what it says. God's writing the story and he's connecting the dots. He's the orchestrator and the, and the conductor and we're the orchestra participants. What does it mean? It means God's writing something through your life, just like he wrote through Joseph's life. Well, Joseph's brothers hate him so much that one day they're in the field, he shows up, and as, as they are uh, talking amongst themselves as they see him coming up, they decided, let's kill him. <laughs> You're like, I, I mentioned that they hated him, right? Like, this is awkward, right? I mean, he's just like, because he's clueless, because he's all about himself, right? And they take his coat, tear it off of him, dip it in animal's blood. They beat him and throw him into a pit. They were going to kill him, but at the last second, they changed their mind. So now they had lunch. <laughs> so we're like, the Bible's boring. The Bible is not boring. The Bible is like, uh, what is it? It's, uh, what, are, what, are, what are our Spanish soap operas? Novelas. I'm not telling you, I mean, this is like novellas have nothing on the Bible. Okay? I'm just telling you right now, this is like soap opera-ish. And so they, instead of killing him, they throw a rope down into this empty cistern that they'd thrown him into a well with no water in it. And I imagine to him that the rope com comes down in there and he's getting pulled out. He's thinking he's going home. He's like, when I get home, I'm telling mom and dad. Like he's kind of a whiner at this point, right? But he doesn't go home. He sold to an Ishmaelite caravan on its way to Egypt. Instead of bringing back the brother, they bring back the torn coat and tell their dad, a wild animal must have killed your son. And we pick it up in Genesis chapter 39, verse one. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Um, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And then we get to verse two. Now the Lord was with Joseph. Pause for a second. What? You ever read your Bible, you're like, this is one of those verses I want to highlight. This is so beautiful. It's so powerful. And there's others, you're like, I'd like to use the black felt marker. Like, not true, right? Like, he's sold into slavery. This is the first time we see that God says that his hand was on him and that he prospered. It wasn't when he's at home. It wasn't when he got the fancy coat. It wasn't when his brothers beat him. It wasn't even when they sold him. It's when he's somewhere he doesn't want to be doing what he doesn't want to do with the people he doesn't want to be with. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. He goes from the bottom of the rung to serving the, the man of the house. Potiphar, because he saw God's hand on him, put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care 
everything, everything he owned. Verse six, now Joseph, like Pastor JJ, was well-built and handsome. But you know, is this a different translation? I'm reading the new Vasquez version. He sent this to me earlier. I'm just playing if you're watching. We'll talk about it at lunch. Okay. And this part doesn't apply, but after a while, his wife, that is funny though, right? Okay. After a while, his wife's master took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. Why? By the way, you could think for a second, foreigner, a land that's not his own, all, like the girl he liked in elementary school, can't, he doesn't even see her anymore, right? So he's, he, he could be thinking, this is my one shot at affection. I could get uh, inroads in, in, into the palace. But what he does, he goes to the reservoir of his character to pull out a response. And here's what he says. By the way, you can never withdraw something that's not been deposited. You ever been at the grocery store when things are lean and you're like, you're checking out and you're like, oh Lord, let this go through. And you're like, just run it again, run it again, right? Like, there's deposits that have to be made for withdrawals. That's a whole nother talk, right? With me in charge, he says, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one's greater in this house than I am. You know what I think he's doing, Journey Church? He's reminding himself as much as he's reminding her. You ever have to remind yourself of the promises of God and remind yourself who you are in Christ? That's not who I am anymore. That's, that's not what God says about me. Uh, and sometimes what we do is we hold on to the lies of the enemy and we let go of the promises of God. Joseph's speaking to himself, not just to her. Some of y'all need to drive down the road and just get that puppet hand out and say, God is for you. There's a plan for my life. I know that's awkward and looks weird, but whatever you gotta do to speak the truth of God over yourself, the word of God is powerful. There's promises that we leave pending because we don't hold on to them. My master's withheld nothing from me except you, he says. How then could I do, and I love this, such a, a wicked thing and sin against, not you, not my family, but against God. And then he sets up these safeguards, these out of bounds markers, some guardrails. He does two things. He refuses to sleep with her and he even sets the parameter of not ever being with her. He's protecting himself because y'all know we're weak, right? Y'all know where we, I, I, we, we were youth pastors for a long time and these kids would come in and sometimes like, well, we didn't mean to have sex. I'm like, uh, were you naked? Because <laughs> as it turns out, that's part of it. So you just keep the clothes on and there's a different conversation, right? But we put, we gotta, we gotta put safeguards in place. Joseph's saying, this is who I am. This is who I wanna be. Has he always done everything right? No, no one does except Jesus but he's declaring who he is as a, a, a man of God over himself. Now, here's the problem. Mrs. Potiphar does not like rejection. <laughs> She's not used to it. So she begins to conspire a plan. And one day he's in the palace and she's in the palace. He'd avoided her. We don't know how long it was, but he'd set this safeguard in place. And now she goes around and she sends out all of the attendants and she once more tries to seduce him. You remember when he had his coat torn off before? Now 
It says she grabs his cloak, his robe, he spins out of it and runs off without a, a rope. If I'm him, second wardrobe malfunction, no more robes, okay? I'm like, it's not working for me. He's falsely accused of trying to have his way with her, which was the opposite was true, and he's thrown in prison. And now we think back to verse two. And we're like, maybe that verse doesn't apply anymore. Maybe the yellow highlighter I used in that before, I need to switch it out with the black one. That God was with him and he prospered. And here's, here's the tension. Sometimes we're looking for the obvious, but God wants us to see the eventual. And this is how God's word sometimes helps us to have clarity that's beyond the moment. Joseph, while in prison, begins to, the scripture says, he begins to serve or build rapport with two other fellow inmates. And it was guys who used to work with Pharaoh, the cupbearer and the baker. The baker would make all the stuff to eat. The cupbearer's job was to taste all the food and the drink before the king, Pharaoh and the king. Two words, same dude, okay? So it was a great job <laughs> unless someone's trying to poison the king, okay? And you're like, how's that croissant? Well, it, right, okay? It was going great, and then I died, right? What does that taste like? Poison, as it turns out, right? So it's a, but he has literally proximity to Pharaoh. So Joseph, for the first time in prison in a foreign land, has access and proximity to people who had proximity to Pharaoh. You see, God's starting to connect some dots. You ever get one of those little connected dots pages as a kid, and there's like 14 dots, and you're like, I have no idea what this could be. It's a bird, okay? But you can't see it at first, because all you see is the dots. And you start, you're like, wow, that's a wing, and that's the beak, and that is the body. And God is starting to connect some dots for Joseph. He's orchestrating, even though Joseph doesn't see it. We sing it. You're working, even though I can't see it. And this is what's happening with Joseph. Here, here's a simple way to say it. Your delay has the potential to position you. You would never choose the delay, but God chooses it sometimes. And sometimes because of decisions that we make, we take the detour route, we take the long route, but because God's so good, he doesn't waste it. He uses it. Joseph now has proximity. If you were to travel, what's your name, bro, again? If Mark was to travel today, name a country. Thank you, Uzbekistan. Okay, so I don't know why you're visiting there, but if he was to travel today to Uzbekistan, the chance of him meeting the president or the emperor or the prime minister is zero. You know Joseph's access to Pharaoh on his own? Zero. But God is orchestrating, and your delays have the potential to position you. In prison... The cupbearer and the baker both have dreams. Joseph had a dream at 17. Now the cupbearer and baker have dreams. And he notices, because he's interacting with them. By the way, sometimes when you're in prison, it's all about you. Joseph made it about others. And he notices they're having a tough day. And he's like, what's going on? And they said, we have dreams that we can't interpret them. And here's what he says now at almost 30 that he wouldn't have said at 17. I can't interpret the dream, but the God I serve can. There's some maturity, there's some development in his delay. And he says, well, good news at first for both of you, you're getting out. <laughs> the bad news, Baker, is you're gonna be carrying your head. And he gets out and is beheaded. 
But before they get, get out, he's like, guys, come here real quick. I have a simple two-word request. <laughs> Remember me. And let me ask this during church. Those listening to this online two weeks from now, you're on the treadmill, you're driving to work. Have you ever felt unseen, forgotten, or overlooked? If you have, you relate to Joseph. Because you know what these guys did immediately after they got out? They forgot him. His request, I'll, I'll read it exactly. Chapter 40, verse 14. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. But they forgot him. And it's in this moment that Joseph has to ask the question, will I still serve God? Will I still trust God to orchestrate my steps? I imagine him being at the, the, the doors or the bars, whatever the configuration of the prison was, and he's waiting by it the day they get out. And he's like, okay, the, the cupbearer's for sure gonna tell somebody. And then nothing happens. In two days, he's still waiting there. And the footsteps of the guards down the corridor are like his hope moment, his get out of jail moment. Like, no, nah, they're just bringing food that day or they're getting some, oh, and he starts to wonder like, God, are you out there somewhere far off? Uninterested? Did, did I forfeit your favor? There's nothing I can do to make it happen. And what happens is sometimes in that pause, when the promise is pending, we go, God, I don't see enough, so I'm out. And God's like, you're missing what I want to do and develop inside of you. God was doing something. Here, here's how I wrote it. With God, nothing is ever wasted, even our waiting. And I don't like waiting. I don't want the waiting room. I want the express pass. But there's something God does in that waiting period. What happens to you in your delays, Journey Church, directly connects to what happens through you afterwards. There's something God's doing. There's something he's forming. There's, there's some tools he's given you that you'll be able to apply to the next storm, to, to the next scenario. You start to pass test. You used to fail because God's developing something in you. So maybe a question we should ask is this. What are the predictable people and places and things that have the potential to hinder or derail your development? You ever find yourself saying, how did, how did I get here? How did I get here? God, you're so good. The friends I have, the relationships I have this season, how did I get here? And then we find ourselves in other seasons, like how did I get here? The friends, the relationships, the decisions. And here's the answer to both of those. You put yourself in currents that took you somewhere. Relational currents, prayer currents, spiritual. We put ourselves in places that take us somewhere. Currents are imperceptible to the human eye, but they're very much real. And they're felt like a, like a leaf in the wind. You can't see it, but you see its effect. There's something that happens when we say, I'm going to put myself. There's some predictable people and places like you're here or you're watching this. That, that's, you're putting yourself in a current to take you closer to Jesus, to do something deep in your heart to form and shape you. And for Joseph, just when it seems like, like the, the end of the story is, and they forgot about him. We read one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Genesis 41, one. And here's what it says. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. It's interesting, at 17, a dream would set this in motion. At about 30, his fellow inmates would have dreams. And now 730 year, days rather later, 
two years later, Pharaoh would have a dream. Now, remember, remember the cupbearer? The cupbearer's job was to what? Have the food and the drink before the... So he's restored to his position. Imagine the awkward conversation this is. Pharaoh has a dream. He's like, what's wrong, Pharaoh? I had a dream. I can't interpret it. He's like, dang it. I know someone who can help. But how do I bring it up? He's like, this is... So Pharaoh, this is so... <laughs> this is so funny. You remember when you were so mad at me that you threw me in prison? This is so funny. It's not really about me though, but I met a guy when I was in there. How do you mention that? How do you tell the guy who could have you killed? Hey, you remember when you like killed my buddy and threw me in prison? But he finally gets the courage. He says, Pharaoh, I know someone who can help you. And his name's Joseph and he's in prison. And so they go, they get Joseph, they clean him up, they shave him and they bring him and he's standing before Pharaoh. And what he says now is the overflow of development of his character when he says, I can interpret the dream, but the God I serve can. And Pharaoh shares his dream. And here's what the dream was in a nutshell. It was seven years of abundance, of, of excess, of, of so much grain and produce and, and just exponential pro productivity. And so Joseph's like, hey, we need to plan for this. And you're going to need to build new barns. You're going to have to plant. And it was like this bumper crops, followed by seven years of famine and desolation, where nothing would grow, not just in Egypt, but in all the surrounding nations. Remember, Joseph was from Canaan originally, and he sold into slavery. And what's so powerful is God would use Joseph as the answer to the problem in Canaan because he was sold into slavery. There was a delay, but there was a destiny. Remember his brothers who had beaten him, dipped his coat in blood, brought it to dad and said, an animal killed you? They would be the very people who would clump in on their camels and say, can we buy grain from you? And they would do this. They would bow down before Joseph and say, you're the only one in all of the lands who has food. You don't think God is orchestrating your destiny when he allows for seven years of famine to set people up to say, I'm going to position you. Joseph is a type, an example of Jesus who rescues us when we can't rescue ourselves. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. And for some of you, it feels like 10 years had passed. Maybe two weeks of heartache and sadness and disappointment and disillusionment feels like 25 years. That the promise is pending. The dream has been deleted. Your destiny is now a footnote. And it's not one of hope or purpose. You say, I look at my marriage. I look at my, I look at my kids. I, and you just fill in the blank. And we start to think, is that, is that the final chapter of my story? And I want you to hear this. Many of life's most powerful and meaningful moments are pulled out of the most difficult of moments. Some of the most incredible insights and, 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 and ahas come from these difficult times, not from the easy and smooth sailing. So I mentioned we have two sons, our oldest son, Justice, and our youngest son, Josiah. 
And uh, Josiah's now 6'4", okay? I'm the little guy at the house at 6'2". So I'm Norwegian, my wife is Samoan, and our boys had no shot at being small. But when Josiah was in elementary school, he's in his room on the bed, and I'm in our room across the hall. He doesn't know that Joanne's not there, so he's like, moms, you'll get this. He's like three times, mom! Mom! Okay, three times, no answer. So he pivots to his second round draft pick. Dad! Okay, I'm like, I get it. Mom's all of our favorites, okay? So I go and I sit at the foot of his bed and I say, what's up, bud? And he says, Dad, my legs are killing me. (laughs) And I knew in that moment what he didn't. Isn't it interesting? Like, as a father, we know, and as a mother, we know what our kids don't sometimes. And I said, Josiah, what you're having right now is called growth pains. So I asked a couple questions. I said, do you want to be five feet? (laughs) Yeah. He's a little dramatic. You want to be six feet? (laughs) Yeah. You want to be seven feet? No. Okay, I get it. (laughs) Tough for shoes and clothes. I said, there's purpose for your pain. In Journey Church, I'm not your dad, but our Heavenly Father says this. There's purpose for your pain. You want growth? You want development? You got to deal with some things. Don't fight the formation that God is trying to produce in you. A simple way of saying, but not simplistic, is this. Slow motion is still motion. And that growth we want, most of the growth we experience in life is not fast, it's incremental. It's slow. But slow motion is still motion. And something happens when our perspective shifts at, from, from the irritation at the delay to now me saying, I'm going to anticipate the development. It's a little tweak with an enormous different lens that, that brings hope rather than despair. Okay, how many of you um, travel for work or you've ever flown for vacation? Let me see your hands. Okay, so on the count of three, shout out your favorite vacation destination. One, two, three. Okay, Tampa, that's shocking, okay? Just kidding, okay. So uh, I, someone said Dominican Republic. I was hoping for my Puerto Ricans to rise up in this place, okay? But let's say you're gonna spend five days in the DR and then go to the Puerto Rico, okay? So you saved the best for last. Just kidding. <laughs> Just playing. You've obviously never been to Tampa. <laughs> so when you get on the plane, your goal is to get from point A to B, right, Santo Domingo, as quickly as possible. You don't want to delay, you don't want pauses. The last thing you want on the, the, the flicker of, oh, the flight's delayed or it's, it's uh, canceled, right? So once you're on the plane, you're settled in, you've had that bountiful snack called pretzels, and you're like, I'll double up on those, right, because they're so filling, and you're about to, get, about to get to your preferred destination, and oh, this is your captain speaking. We've been instructed by the tower to go into a holding pattern. Everyone on the plane's like, yeah, holding pattern. No. Everyone's like, oh, and other things I can't say here at church, <laughs> because none of us like to have a delay to our destiny. But I want to tell you some things about a holding pattern that the tower knows and the pilot knows that the passengers don't. 
And if you're in a holding pattern right now, or you've been in one, or you see one coming, I have good news for you. Here's the first thought. The, the tower and the pilot know what the passengers don't. It's just not safe to land yet. That if you, if you force it, it will not just hurt you, it'll hurt other people. The, the, the tower and the pilot know what the passengers don't, and that's that you have enough fuel left in the tank to stay aloft. You can go on that square around the airport. And you ever have those days where you're like, I just can't keep going, and, and then you do, you're like, well, I, I guess I can, but I don't want to. You have enough left in the tank. The tower knows what the pilot knows, but the passengers don't that preparations need to be made in order for you to get to your destination safely. And sometimes there's even a course correction or a detour. And I want you to hear this, a detour is this, you don't get to your preferred destination when or the route that you thought you would take. So here's the question, do you find yourself today in a holding pattern? where what you hoped for, prayed for, and expected to have happen isn't. You have a delayed destiny. And I wanna give you, just as I come to a close, some promises from the pilot of our lives, Jesus, for us as passengers. The first one is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he's writing to believers, he's writing to Christians, he's writing to us. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You're like, that's not on the screen. I know, but here's what's on the screen. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Come on, let that sink in for a second. What God starts, he will finish. who, Who started the good work in you? He did. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. If God says it, he will do it. What about Jesus in his own words? He says, I've told you these things so that in me, where's our peace? In him. In me, you might have peace. In this world, you're gonna have trouble. He says, take heart for I've overcome the world. That's a promise from the pilot to us as passengers. One last one, and I wrote about a bunch, but just for sake of time, Galatians 6, 9 says this. Do not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, pause. What is the proper time? Like I wrote about eventually, because what is eventually? Eventually can be really fast, or it can be like, well, eventually. What you have to learn to do in in that holding pattern, in that pause, is say, God, I trust your timing more than my timing. I trust you to orchestrate and write my story better than me writing my story. Do not become weary in doing it for at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest. Here's the ginormous two-letter word, if. And that's your part. If you do not give up. Journey Church, what is your part in staying on on purpose for a purpose with Jesus? It's don't quit. It's keep holding on to him. Recognizing your source is not you. You have limitations, you're finite, he's infinite. Do not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. I finish with a story. I believe this, that if you and I lack depth and determination, 
we will quit something that's difficult at the first explainable opportunity. If we lack depth and determination, and they're not the same thing, you get depth from determination, but after you have some depth, you gotta keep being determined. And part of that is saying, God, I'm just gonna lean into you. I'm gonna lean into you. Uh, today, I'm gonna lean into you. Today, I'm gonna follow you. I fall, though a righteous man and woman falls seven times, what, yet will they rise? I, I'm gonna have depth and determination and no one can get that for me. I love stories of people who attempt audacious things. And, and one of uh, people who's inspired me is a lady named Florence Chadwick. Florence was a prolific swimmer. In fact, she had swum, which doesn't sound like a word, but it is because I looked it up. Every, the more I say swum, it sounds like it's not a word, but it is. It means already, okay? So she had swum, right? Sounds weird. She had swum, doesn't that sound weird? Yeah, she, she had swum the English Channel in both directions and the Straits of Gibraltar, okay? And now she's attempting, <laughs> I love that word. She's attempting a record-breaking feat for women to swim pre, not post, right? To swim from um, the shores of California, the 26 miles to Catalina Island. She's swimming a marathon. How many runners we got in the house today? Okay, five of you. Okay, start a small group, it'll build, okay? Like my favorite part of running is when I stop. Can I get a witness on that? How many non-runners? Let's start like a movement, right? Okay, I see those hands. She is swimming a marathon. She's prepped, she's trained. Remember, she's already swum long distances before. And now she's been in the water for 15 hours. Two things that make her race ratified as a record-breaking attempt. Here's the two things. She could not have any outside buoyancy or flotation devices, no life jacket or log or anything. And she couldn't touch the guide boat. She could talk with them, she could interact with them, but she could have no contact. After 15 hours in the water, she doesn't know this because it's July 4th, 1952. The people on the boat didn't have the technology. Partway through her swim, which started as a crystal clue blue sky, fog began to descend over the island. And as she started the swim, it was clear of her destination. And the closer she got to the island, the more her visibility of her destination became obscured. It became, she had an inability to see where she was going. And here's what she says, and I'm quoting her. She says, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. But all I could see was the fog. What she didn't know 15 hours in the water was that she was less than half a mile from her destination. She could, have, she could have done the backstroke to get there, but because she couldn't see her destination, it stopped the destiny. And I don't know if you've had something that was clear before be confusing now, but I'm telling you, God will guide you even if it's unclear. I don't know if there's something that, that was crystal clear and now it's foggy and you have an inability in your own gifts to see, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will give you discernment. He'll give you men and women in your life, pastors and coworkers and classmates and teammates to say, no, this is the way. Keep going, keep swimming, don't quit. It's almost always too soon to quit. 
She's fatigued. She can't see her destination. And she taps out and she touches the boat. All of her effort was now negated. It's all lost. Here's how her story finishes. Two months later, she does the same swim, attempting to break the record. And not only does she complete the swim, <laughs> she beats the men's record by two hours. Come on, ladies. She knew even if a fog descended, she's still going towards her destination. And I'm telling you right now, I don't care if there's fog. There's a, there's a direction and a purpose God has for you. Your job is to keep swimming, to keep going, and don't touch the boat. I finished with this. Joseph, God elevated him, used him to rescue nations, including his own family. And his dad's about to die and his brothers are afraid that the moment dad dies, he'll get revenge, that he's been gracious and kind to them, showing mercy because dad's alive. And here's what he says, chapter 50, verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And maybe this is a verse worth memorizing or throwing on your fridge because people will have plans to harm, but I'm telling you, God takes broken things and he makes them beautiful. You plan to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He'd been reconciled with his brothers and reunited with his father and the destiny God had for him became fulfilled. I, I wanna propose this to you, that rather than asking the question, God, why did you allow me to go through a delay? Or when will you get me out? I wanna propose your next best thought and your prayer is this. God, what do you want to develop in me through this? I wanna share, share something I've only shared here at Journey in both first two services. I was, I was praying and prepping for this moment. And here's what I wrote. It's not even like typed, it's written out in my notes. It can feel like the confusion you're coping with and the delay you're dealing with and the hurt you're still healing from will be what most marks your life. But it's not true. There can seem to be no next chapter in the story God's writing. But today's not your last chapter. It's just your most recent. Today's not your last chapter. It's just the most recent. And maybe today you invite Jesus to put a period and turn the page and begin to write the next chapter. And I finished with this. Here's what I wrote. In two weeks or two months or 20 years, what you're navigating right now, what you're dealing with right now in this moment will just be part of the beautiful story God is writing through your life. And so whatever you're dealing with is both worth the wait and needed by others. Your times of delay will bring fulfillment you could not have planned because God is writing your story. And that's the good news of the gospel. And I wanna invite you just as I close today, 
Maybe, maybe you're watching this or you're here in this room and you're saying, I, I know about God, but I don't know God. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm telling you the best thing to, to, to begin to chart the destiny, not just for your life, but for your eternity, is found in relationship with Christ. Here's what the Bible says so simply, but not simplistically. If we confess our sins, by the way, all of us have sinned. All of us are, are eligible for the grace of God because we all need it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to both forgive us and to purify us from all the brokenness, all the unrighteousness. And here's what that means. It means God gives fresh starts to anyone who invites him to. And ultimately God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. He rescues us and he heals us from the inside out, heart first. I'm gonna invite you just to bow your head as I close. And if today you wanna surrender your life to Christ, I wanna invite you to, to make that decision. I wanna pray for you. Come on, right now there's an opportunity for you, the Bible says, to cross from death to life. That's what the scripture tells us, the book of John. But God does something for us that we can't do for ourselves. He takes our sin and our brokenness and he takes it to the cross. And then Jesus dies. But three days later, he rises again. And that life invites us into new life. And if you want to surrender your life to Christ, you can pray something simple. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Set me free. I can't heal, rescue, or save myself, but you can. And so I look to you and I surrender to you. And today I invite you to be Lord of my life. And I pray this in the simple, powerful, mighty name of Jesus, amen. And for those of you that today surrender your life to Christ, yeah, go ahead. We just welcome you to the family. We, we thank God for the opportunity to go with and I wanna pray for one last group as I close. I wanna pray for those that would say, I'm, I'm in a holding pattern. There's a delay to my destiny. We hope you've enjoyed this message and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.